You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to episode 74 of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host, Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. And on this week's show, we've got a member of the Great Britain senior men's team, none other than Gabe Olashaney, going into his sixth year, I believe, as a professional, uh, having graduated from the University of Iowa in 2015 after a standout senior year where he was named uh, sixth man of the year. Now, I first saw Gabe as a skinny 18-year-old, 18-year-old, I believe, a Future Stars 2009, playing for a Richmond Select squad, um, and he was very raw but athletic. You could see uh, he had potential, but hadn't quite uh, put it all together. And obviously, in that time, his journey from then until now has been quite astounding and inspiring, uh, to be honest. And it was awesome to be able to get him on the show and kind of reflect on his journey uh, so far. Now, before we do get into the show, I need to a special announcement. I need to shout out uh, Foot Locker who uh, revealed their Raised Game uh, program last week, which is a Europe-wide um, investment into grassroots and community basketball, working with uh, people that are on the ground in um, four different major cities, London, um, Milan, Barcelona and Paris, and working with people that are on the ground to activate basketball courts um, and basketball uh, activations. Uh, that's probably not the best way of saying it, but um, to basically give back to the game and help grow the game. And so in London, uh, they are partnering with Hoops Fix uh, to do a court renovation. We will be providing way more details about that in the future, um, but uh, we are working on a very special project, uh, Clapham Common, which I think is going to be a big game changer for the game in London. Uh, not only that, they also announced a partnership with Brixton Top Cats. They're going to be selling merchandise uh, for the Top Cats in the Brixton House of Hoops Foot Locker store, which will have all the proceeds that will go back into the club, uh, helping fund uh, the great work that they're doing down there. And then also a partnership with uh, local artist Sevian, who is actually a former Brixton Top Cat herself, who will be design- designing bespoke player kits in line with the court design that we're doing um, to then donate to the to the local community. So uh, it's super exciting, super exciting for us to be involved with. Uh, super grateful to Foot Locker for the great work they're doing and obviously um, yeah excited for the future if you want to find out more information uh, please go and check it out on their website Uh, it's all on footlocker.co.uk I've put a link in the description below for you to go and click on please go and check it out and and shout out Footlocker for their for their huge work um, and investing into the game uh, in the the UK into British basketball uh, and giving back to the game that means so much to all of us and then finally, before we get to get into the show, I always need to shout out a Patreon account. Go and check it out. Patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash H-O-O-P-S-F-I-X. There you can sign up to give us a monthly contribution of as much or as little as you'd like to help us do the work that we're doing. Um, we want to grow this thing to as big as possible, grow the British basketball media landscape, and we can't, can't do it without your support. So please go and consider giving us, give, giving us a small amount. Uh, every single month or every single year at patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix. Anyway, that is enough from me. As always, let me know what you think. Uh, you can reach out to me on every single social media platform at HoopsFix or you can leave a comment below if you're watching on YouTube or if you prefer private interaction, drop me an email on sam at hoopsfix.com. Uh, yeah, I think that's enough for me. Uh, just bear in mind the internet's a little bit choppy. Video quality is not great, but the audio is great. Um, Anyway, that's enough from me. Here's this week's show with uh, me and Gabe Olashaney. Gabe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, uh, it's been a bit of a crazy time for everyone everyone this year. Um, 
and I remember when this whole the whole coronavirus lockdown thing started. You were actually one of the one of the last uh, British players still playing. Um, can you kind of give us a recap of uh, your last sort of six to what was it six seven months now? Um, when, what was going on? You were obviously in Turkey uh, last season as well, uh, and kind of yeah, sort of what you were hearing, what was going on, and kind of your memories of when you realised you know this is a pretty serious thing that's happening and it's going to potentially shut down basketball for a little while. Yeah, so um, very early on, I was kind of in the, in the same boat as everyone else uh, playing in Europe. Uh, we started to see what was going on in China, um, um, some um, some cancellations, some delays, but we never thought it was going to like come to Europe. You know, we we're kind of ignorant in our thinking. And then we saw the whole NBA thing that was shutting down, and we're like, okay, this is getting serious. So then uh, we kept on playing games with fans. Then I think for the last two or three games, we played uh, without fans. So a similar situation to what it is now. So. Yeah, I think for like two or three games, uh, play without fans, which was a weird, weird feeling. And then um, I think we were a game behind in the league. So we just ended up playing the last game just to make everything, everything uh, equal in our league. You know, I think we had to make it to 22 games and we we're at 21. So, yeah, I think we played Ephesus in Istanbul, the last game. And they were just like, this might be the last game. Let's just go out there and try and win. Obviously, we couldn't get the win. So uh, it was weird. Uh, then after that, uh, we, we traveled back to the city I played in in Turkey. Uh, had a conversation with the GM. Basically, the season's postponed. Uh, I think all the Americans went back to the States, and I decided to stay just in case uh, we could start playing again. Uh, yeah, and I was, think I was over there for like two months, just going kind of start start raising mad, just trying to stay in shape. Wow. Didn't leave my apartment, and then and then they text me like a couple of days, like yeah, we have a flight back to London after the season was cancelled, and I just ended up going back. So. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. So you you were there for for another two months uh, after the season was was initially postponed. Were you under lockdown there? Was it was what were the measures like? Was it pretty strict? Like kind of what sort of restrictions were you under? Um, I'd say the restrictions were pretty much like the rest of Europe because uh, early on people didn't really know about the about too much about the virus, you know. So everyone was like stocking up on toilet paper, water, stuff like that. I mean, I did it too, but not to the not to the excess levels that you see in the States. Don't, don't tell me um, you stocked up on sure. toilet paper. You weren't one of the ones that went and stocked up on toilet paper. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I just got like a, I got like two weeks worth because you have to do the two week quarantine, you know? So yeah. I, I didn't take too much. Um, yeah. So I just, I got some supplies, got some food, just hunkered down for, I think two weeks. And then after that, uh, I was just getting information from the team. Uh, they were still helping me out a lot just in terms of stuff I can and can't do. Uh, they texted me <clears throat> a lot of times over the weekend, you couldn't go out past certain times so every day they just kept kept me updated you know um besides that just going to the grocery store just catching up with people um yeah just trying to not go crazy you know yeah which was more and so, which is kind of difficult so then for the majority of uh the summer have you, you you've been in london yeah so i, I don't even know when i came back but i came back did the whole two-week quarantine and then tried to work out. I mean, I was working out in parks, basketball, uh, basketball on like concrete courts for the first time since I was like 14, 15. So just trying to maintain some sort of level, you know, but it's not, it's not the same as being in a gym uh, and being in a weight room. So it was difficult, but I think, I think for, the, for the amount of facilities I had, I did a pretty good job. And then at what point, uh, like kind of when you coming into this season, 
you know, obviously you, you signed in, in Turkey again. I, I'm not even going to try and pronounce the name of the team that you signed for. <laughs> so you can, I can help. I can help you out. I can yeah, help you out. Go on. Boya Chekmeje. Boya Chekmeje. So you you signed with them, like kind of coming into this season. How much did uh, coronavirus impact, kind of, I guess, the, the options that you potentially had on the table, the thought process? thought process you had around signing with teams um, and I guess from your sort of knowledge as a, as a player how much has it impacted the the, the European uh, market for players um, I think it's impacted the European market a lot um, speaking for other players I think this year we're seeing a lot of uh, G League guys come over because um, we're not really sure about the G League situation right now so I think a lot of guys are just taking the money while it's available and a lot of those guys will obviously stay in the States and play in the G League so to a certain extent, they're taking some of the jobs away from like European players or um, guys from the States who will regularly come to Europe, you know? So there's more there's more competition. Um, a lot of guys are signing in different leagues, um, which is good to see. But um, individually, it didn't impact me too much um, just because I knew what I wanted. I wanted to uh, stay in the Turkish division and just continue to make a name for myself here, you know? I've had a few ups and downs in my career and I've really established myself in Turkey as a as a pretty good player here. So that was one of my priorities. And then when the opportunity arose um, near the, I don't I remember when I signed, I think early August around that time, um, after I after I went through the whole process with my agent, um, there was a couple different offers from different countries, but I really just wanted to, to stay in Turkey, just not knowing um, what the situation was going to be like, whether the league is going to be cancelled, postponed. I just established myself here, here, you know, and I didn't want to make the, the transition, because if you see the the course of my career, it's one year Germany, France, Italy, blah blah blah. So I'm just trying to trying to stay the course here, you know, trying to have two back to back solid seasons. But in terms of, um, I can't remember the last question you asked me. <laughs> just just in terms of like you know like how much has impacted the market, like for you personally, uh, the coronavirus, like coming into this season, like how much has changed potentially, you know, your decision making process with with where you're going to sign and who you're going to sign with. Yeah, I think just um, just in terms of wanting to be comfortable somewhere. Like, I don't want to be in a completely different country, a completely different league, and just not know, like, the facilities, the structures of the organization, the type of organization I'm going to be with. So I think just wanting to stay in Turkey, knowing that it's a good league, one of the better leagues in Europe. I had a good season here. So I really just wanted to make the adjustment process of wherever I went as minimalistic as possible so I can kind of hit the ground running, you know? What is this, the current situation with um, basketball, like the league in, in Turkey? Like we just, you know, we've just seen, literally just before we jumped on a call, BBL's put out a statement saying that the season here that was meant to start on uh, Friday night is, is now being postponed um, because the government put out new restrictions last week saying no fans can be in venues, which is obviously for BBL teams a, a big problem um, because it's a big revenue driver for them, yeah. a, a much larger percentage of their of their of their income because there's no TV deal and stuff. What, what's the current status in Turkey? Like, uh, are you allowed fans? Um, are there other restrictions in place? Kind of, yeah. What's what's going on? Um, in terms of restrictions, the like the whole coaching staff, every support staff member, everyone's wearing masks. Um, obviously, we don't wear masks when we play and practice, but um, there's no fans. They announced that I think few weeks ago no fans for the first half of the season so on the second leg hopefully we can get some fans in the arenas um besides that just testing i think twice a week um right after a game and middle of the week something like that like we have another test tomorrow which i'm not really looking forward to 
But uh, is that yeah, the swab up the nose good. down the back of the throat? Yeah, you never get used to it. But uh, yes, it's uh, they're taking care of us, which is good to see. Uh, they're really uh, trying their best with all the restrictions. Obviously, you can't um, you can't stop anything from happening, but you can try your best to prevent things happening. So I think they're doing a good job, but. It's kind of weird not to play without fans. Uh, I'm the type of player where I kind of just find that motivation within. I, I kind of play the same way regardless, but in those moments where you're just feeling exhausted, the crowd definitely definitely gets you going, especially when you're on the road. You kind of want to silence, silence the crowd, you know? So uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, season started last week. We got the first win, so that was really good. So hopefully we can see how we're doing. How, how many games do you play over the course of the season? In um, so the 16th. I think there's 16 teams now in the league, um, so around 30, I want to say. Wow. And in terms of your the group of guys, the team that you're on, like where are you pipped to finish? Like kind of how are you feeling about the group and, and your chances going into the year? Uh, right now, I think I feel as though I have a similar feeling to last year. Um, last year, I was in a team called Versa Sport, great organization similar to this. And a lot of people didn't pick us to finish in the playoff hunt. And I think when the season was cancelled, we were in ninth place. So I think if the season continued, we would have definitely made the playoffs, uh, which would have been great. And I, I had the same feeling with those with those guys that from last year. Um, I played with a few of the guys here before, um, some of the young Turkish guys. Uh, Devin Oliver, I played with him when I was in Germany in Wurzburg. So he was part of the reason why I signed here. Just don't tell him that. But uh, yeah, it was. Uh, we've got a great group of guys, good coaches, so... I think we can we can make a a bit of noise this year, which is always good. Nice, nice, nice. So let's let's rewind it back to the start. Um, you know, I, I kind of I know your story a little bit. Obviously, I've I've been around for a fair bit of your career. Um, but the kind of the early early years, I, I wasn't so much. But I know that uh, obviously you started playing around twelve, thirteen, fourteen ish. Um, and I've heard you say yeah. that it was you saw you were playing football. You saw some people do some hook shots, and that kind of you was like, oh, what's what's this basketball yeah. thing? Let me kind of let me kind of take a take an interest in it. Can can you kind of recap uh, your sort of first exposure to basketball and what 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 made you uh, play? Yeah, to this day, I don't really know which day I started playing basketball, but I definitely know when I started like taking time out of my day to train. I think it was like around fourteen, age of fourteen. But uh, yeah, just early on, went to Leytonstone School. Didn't really, wasn't really interested in sports. Always was always athletic, but didn't really think too much about it. And obviously, everyone plays football. Uh, everyone plays football in, in all across London. So did that a couple of times at break time, and then they, and then one lunchtime, I saw Michael York, which is kind of my OG. He was just shooting hoops one day, shooting hook shots, and I just immediately fell in love. Like this looks so much better than just standing in a goal, you know? Because obviously, I couldn't be a striker. I had to stand in goal for hours on end. So. Yeah, I just picked it up, kind of fell in love with it and started to play a little bit more. wasn't very good, but then once I put my head down uh, and started to work, got a little better, then got a little more exposure and was able to to kind of move on from there, really. And was your first sort of club exposure with the Eastside Eagles? Yeah, so I think, I, I, I'm not sure whether they were connected to Leighton's own school. Oh, wait, they were. They used to practice in the evenings at one of the, the Leighton's own gyms, so... I kind of got in with uh, David Lavinia, a uh, couple of the older guys there. Obviously, I was the same height. I think I was taller than all the grown men there. So, obviously, they, they took a liking to me. They wanted me to play. So, yeah, just playing with those older guys. I think we used to pay two pounds, two pounds every session. We just played for hours, you know, no stretching, no ice, no none of that stuff. You just wanted to play when you were younger, you know. So, 
yeah, went to Eastside Eagles after that. And then I think after that year, went to Monarchs. Obviously, I didn't get into Barking Abbey. Shout out to Lloyd Gardner. I always give him, I always give him shit about that. But yeah. That he was... he uh he said I I spoke to because I've heard I've heard you say this before that it's kind of like uh you wanted to go to Barking Abbey they wouldn't take you um and and he said that you weren't as big as you think you were and that there's a whole debate going on <laughs> that uh you know at the time you were only six four or whatever rather than sort of the height you 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 are now. Yeah, I was probably about six four six five, which isn't very. I was like as thin as a twig. I'm not huge now, but like a six four five man. <laughs> is it really something you want to invest in? But yeah, I think after that I shot up to like six eight when I went to Monarchs, and after that, obviously finished at six ten. So yeah, every time I see Lloyd, I saw him this summer. Didn't mention it this time, but hopefully he sees this. <laughs> so the because you joined Westminster Warriors as well briefly, right? Yeah, I think um, I can't remember even if I played a game, but I definitely went to a few training sessions. Now I'm trying to work out yeah. if, if if that was because I feel like was that the group was that the group that was stacked like the 2000 was it 2009 2010 season that was like one of the first yeah, that was the first was season of junior basketball covered they had like they had Ryan Martin Teddy Eliandro Leon Bennett Harris like was that that whole group Yeah it was a stacked team it was wow. a stacked team And you ended up leaving yeah, because you, yeah go on sessions. sorry Yeah I went to a couple of training sessions it was great I mean the facilities there were like top notch something I haven't seen in England before obviously all the guys talented players but I just felt as though like with or without me they were going to win you know type of thing so I might as well might as well just try and go somewhere and just develop trying to have a bigger a bigger uh, a bigger play in front of me more room for development which I think it was a good decision obviously I think they went far they won the whole thing but yeah yeah I think my experience I think I went to Uxbridge Emperors which wasn't which wasn't as as high of a a story like a story franchise in terms of England, you know. But I was definitely one of the main guys there. A lot more responsibility. I think we lost a lot, which taught me a lot that I had to improve, you know. Yeah. Because um, early on, early on, you just you're in England, you know. You can run and jump and dunk, and you think you're ready, but it's not the real world, you know. You have to <laughs> once you get once you get out into like uh, different situations, you see that you're, you're not always the biggest, you're not always the strongest. You have to have kind of that savvy, that below the rim game, you know. So, but that's what I tried to develop in my time in Oxbridge and I think I did which kind of helped me in my next step yeah I, I was going to say like I didn't fully clock until I was doing the the prep for this that you went to you went to Oxbridge College they were called Oxbridge College Emperors I think was the was the name of the team yeah Oxbridge Emperors yeah, yeah Oxbridge Emperors um, but obviously you're from East London so were you travelling from East to West each week because that is a, I used to go to Brunel University in Oxbridge and obviously I've lived in East London now for the last 10 years or so and that's not a, that's not a small yeah. trip yeah, uh, luckily everyone, like my whole team from Monarchs, uh, we were kind of we were being coached by Mike Speranza, and he um, he was part of the organization at Uxbridge. So I think every day, or multiple times a week, wow, the college. I think you got the three five seven to Walthamstow Central, Victoria Line, to I think Kings Cross, and then just that straight shot all the way to Uxbridge every day. So it was tough, but I think when you, once you're traveling. Uh, with all your friends, you know, it's a lot easier. Plus, at that age, you don't really think it's a, it's a mission, you know. You don't really know anything else except public transport and just trying to find anywhere to hoop, you know. So, yeah. looking back, it was ridiculous, but it was worth it, I think. So you like saw so that that sort of era before you before you ended up going to the states. Um, 
who were the main guys of, the, of that sort of generation that you were kind of keeping an eye on looking at? Because I do remember <clears throat> you being quite raw, you know, before you went to the US. Um, and obviously, you know, I mean, you didn't appear, you didn't didn't suit up for a national team until until the the seniors. Um, so you you weren't kind of really on the radar like that as a, as a junior player. But kind of, who were some of the yeah. names that you remember of your sort of generation that were sticking out to you and guys maybe you were not necessarily looking up to, but keeping an eye on as like they're the sort of they're the men of that era that you're you're trying to be as good as. Yeah, I think just uh, in terms of like my age group, I think '91 or like '92 born. It was definitely guys like uh, Teddy Okafor. He was like the the up and coming guard, um, Ryan Martin. He was the other versatile, super versatile big guy who was kind of on the map. And then um, guys I was a little more close to, like Will Saunders, Alexander, Scotland Williamson. Those are guys who I've seen like just every year just get better and better. You know, I think they were part of like the under twenties team. So, but the but the one uh, I think the eye opening moment was when I went to the Den Camp, the first ever Den Camp. And I thought I could play basketball, and I <laughs> I realized I couldn't. It was crazy. I went there like, okay, it's time to go. I moved into like my little dorm. I was like, I made it. And then I think the first day I was missing layups left and right. And Ashley Hamilton was my first coach at uh at Den Camp because he was one of the older ones, you know. And he just kind of took me underneath his wing, pretty much just told me that this isn't it, you know. Just continue to improve. And I think he played me more than I expected to play. I was exhausted after every game. I think it was the first time I've done a mic and drill as well. And the first time I did it, I was like messing up so badly. And then by the end of the camp, I got it down. It was like such a proud moment for me, you know? Then I think at the end of the camp, it was around 2012. So I think the GB men's team was playing, you know? So they had like Liu Deng, like all the, all the British legends were there. And I just watched them practice. I think I watched them play. I was like, okay. No more track, no more <laughs> hurdles. Like you need to focus on this and this alone, like to to just try and make it out. Because back then it wasn't really about like finding a European team; it was about going to America, you know. So yeah, that was that was a definitely eye-opening experience. Wow, what a story! It's mad. Uh, you just realised basketball is so small in the UK, you know. You and you kind of like all these little connections that it's only now that you look back and you just like you look at where everyone is, you know. Even those names that you mentioned now. It's just, yeah, it's crazy how sort of everyone's paths run sort of similar or around each other. Um, but yeah, fascinating. So yeah, sure. the, the move uh, to the US, like, how did that first come about? Um, yeah, after barking, I was just, I was, I was pretty upset, you know. I, I wondered whether I should go to like Hackney or, I can't remember if there was, a, if there was another basketball, like, wasn't there a team of like Essex or something? It was like Seek or something. I don't know. I think sure. I think sure. He went there. I can't remember. Oh, Civic, anyway, Civic, Civic. Yeah, Civic. I was yeah, yeah. going there, and I was like, let me just stay local. You know, not that I've given up my hoop dreams, but I think I just wanted to go somewhere for like two years to see if I can improve. You know, and then uh, my coach there, Mike Sprenza, got in contact with Carl uh, Linstead at Sunrise Christian. I think we sent over some tape because um, I think I played for the under sixteen. England team I think really I think he sent footage from that yeah I think I played in the Future Stars and they uh, cut me too England you, England cut me from there too so do you know so what they, so we sent over the foot I was gonna sorry to briefly interrupt I was gonna say that uh one of um one of the places I first saw you was at Future Stars 2009 when you were playing for the Richmond team uh the Richmond sort yeah, of select it. team it was like you Henry Wilkins uh a bunch of guys and obviously you, you ended up playing against England under 18s in that tournament so you had been cut 
by that England team. Yeah. Wow. And then you were playing for Richmond. Yeah, so just, yeah go on. Yeah. So I think he sent over that footage from there. And then over the course of, I think, my second year at Monarchs, kind of a little bit more interaction with them. And then obviously they offered me a scholarship. And after that, just luckily I was able to go over there. Yeah. That transition, you know, I've heard you sort of speak about it that you, you hadn't obviously been away from home for more than a week before before then, and sort of coming to the states yeah. was was a was a was an eye opener. Uh, kind of, yeah. What what are your memories of it, and how how did you find that transition uh, to the USA, both on and off the court? Man, it was tough. Like leading up to it, obviously, once you get the offer, scholarship offer, you get you get the visa sorted out. It's you're still going 100 miles an hour. Then the week leading up to it, you're just so miserable. You know, like I don't want to leave home. Like my parents are there, but I remember, you know, those trips to the airport, you have to wake up at like 3 a.m. I stayed awake the whole time and I was dragging my suitcase down to like the, my parents' car. I was just crying. Like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And they were like, you have to go. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go. Then obviously said my goodbyes, went over to the States and it was just, it was tough, but I think they provided us with a good opportunity because I wasn't stuck with like a, a host family. I was kind of in a, in a house with all other international students, you know? We had guys from uh, Nigeria, the Bahamas, France, and I think Serbia, all in like one house. And we had like an older guy living with us, like looking after us. So it kind of makes you grow up a lot quicker. It was kind of like a college experience. But at the same time, we were we were uh, taken care of like we were still kids, you know, like the like the wife of the owner of the whole school. She cooked for us every night. Uh, we lived on campus. So uh, it was good. It was good. Obviously. When you first go there, you want to go to like I'm going to Kentucky, I'm going to Kansas, you know. <laughs> you kind of want the you kind of want the biggest offers you can get, but yeah, it was just a it was a transition. Obviously, going over there, I was skinny. They put me on a on a pretty good like a diet weight regime and stuff like that. So yeah, early on it was it was tough though. How did you find it on the court? What would you say were the biggest differences that you remember from you know having played in the UK uh, compared to you know high school in the states? We didn't always play against the best competition, but when we when we went to because I think we played in like a local Kansas high school league, so it wasn't against the best competition. But when when we went to big tournaments and stuff like that, uh, I think just the athleticism of everyone on the court, you know, like usually you think, okay, this guy's six eight, he can dunk, but you don't expect like the five nine point guard to come down the lane and dunk it. So you have to be aware at all times, you know. So I think just the the athleticism, the quickness as well, because a lot of times. Playing in England back then, um, I'm sure it's improved now, but you can kind of just rest on your laurels, you know? Like, I'm taller than everyone, I'm bigger than everyone, I'm going to block the shot, get this rebound, but you kind of have to think ahead of time. You can't just be reacting to everything, you know? So I think that was the biggest thing. The uh, uh, Did you do two years or one year in high school? One year. You did one year? Yeah, so I was 18, turning 19, yeah. Okay, so it was a prep year. The... Um... So I remember obviously when you when you came to when you came to London uh, with uh, Iowa, I spoke to Andrew Francis. Was it Andrew Francis, your assistant, the assistant coach who was responsible for recruiting you? Yeah. And he kind of told me the story that that actually uh, they they came to one of your games to watch somebody else, <laughs> and uh, and they saw yeah. they they saw you and were like, wow, like who's this kid? And kind of that was what piqued their interest. It was almost by pure by chance. Like, you know, when you talk about the sort of the recruiting process. I assume they were the first school that, that kind of got onto you, but like kind of what was the recruiting process like for yeah. you? Kind of who was showing you interest and kind of how did it all sort of end up playing out? Yeah, so um, 
I think it was one of the first couple of games or practices. Uh, they were recruiting one of my teammates, uh, Eric Attenda, who ended up going to Notre Dame. And uh, I didn't even know they were there. I was just doing a regular practice, you know, kind of messing around, dunking it. Just just usual, like, ignorant shit. Just, <laughs> just trying to, like, show out, you know, in front of my new teammates. And then uh, the coach came up to me after and was just like, yeah, they just offered you a scholarship. And I was like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Blah, blah, blah. It's like they want you to go to the university for like X amount of years. So I was like, wow, that's cool. But, but he kind of like, he, he kind of like, um, not told me to wait, but he kind of told me to weigh my options, you know, see what else is out there. And I think I got a few more offers near the end of the school year, but I was the one consistent uh, school that was reaching out to me, you know, because obviously everyone sends letters, everyone sends emails, everyone tells the coach they're interested, but they were the only ones to consistently recruit me, you know. And then by the end of my senior year, I was getting more offers, more interest from like Texas, K-State, and um, like TCU, like a couple of the big 12 schools. But I went on my visit to Iowa, met some of my soon-to-be teammates and just fell in love with the city, you know. And I think it was an easy, it was an easy uh, decision because they didn't, offer, they didn't uh, promise me anything. They just said, by the end of your time here, you're going to be a pro. You're going to have multiple degrees. So, I mean, it all came true. So, Did you, did you go on any other visits? Yeah, I went to, uh, I think I went to Oklahoma and I went to Wichita State, which was the local school there. Yeah. So I, I, went, I ended up going on three just because I didn't want to like go to a place where they were kind of like, we'll take you if this guy can come with you, you know? It was kind of like Eric Katenda and me, like a package deal, but I didn't really, I was really interested in that. Yeah. The point that you sort of did the visits like you know kind of you're talking there and it sounds like obviously you're at that point you know a bit naive to, to college basketball and kind of what it was and what it meant and 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 all that like I assume by the time you you did the visits and and got onto campus like did it kind of hit you about like you know the big timeness of it and uh kind of what it potentially means obviously you know I were playing what a 15,000 seat arena like kind of do you remember sort of a moment where you're just like wow this is potentially well this is my future for the next four years um, yeah, I think once on campus, you know, like the size of, like we drove for 200 minutes and we're still on campus type of thing, you know. Uh, but yeah, they showed me all the facilities. I think that's when it really kicked in, you know, once I stepped into the arena and it sold out every game, top of the notch facilities, like the best locker room you can imagine. But I think they also like knew what type of person I was. They didn't really just concentrate on like showing me the flashy stuff. They took me to the classes I was interested in, uh, the areas of the city I, I Googled and researched and obviously spending time with the coaching staff, they, I just really got the impression that they cared about me as a person, you know? They kind of knew the type of person I was and just the type of goals I had for myself, not necessarily in terms of stats, the amount of time I wanted to stay there, but just how I wanted to develop and basically be better than I came, you know? When you talk about your your work ethic, uh, you know, I remember Coach McCaffrey saying to me that you were uh, one of the hardest workers that he's ever been around. Kind of, can you talk about a typical sort of day for you at, at college, you know, uh, and sort of maybe when you talk about sort of the work ethic, what sort of hours you were putting in and, and the, the, the sort of the graft that you were putting in to improve at your craft? Uh, yeah, I think um, we lived pretty close to the arena in the dorms and then we, when we moved into apartments, so it was a quick, it was a quick 10 minutes over to the arena. I used to work a lot in the mornings with uh, one of the assistant coaches, Kirk Spiro. I used to wake up, let's say around like six, go over to the arena, just work on my form, work on my moves, stuff like that for like an hour and a half. 
and then you go over to you have to unfortunately go over to the classes at like 9 a.m so you do that until whenever come to practice early try and keep working and then just obviously a two-hour practice then you try and stay behind as much as you can uh and then obviously coming on the weekends uh stuff like that so I do think I work hard, but there's something in my head that's telling me people are working harder, you know? So I always want to do a little bit more, but looking back, I've, 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 like me and Aaron White, we were in there every night, you know? Like he would he would come from class, because we obviously had different schedules. So I would go after class, he'll be in there, I'll be just leaving or we'll be there at the same time, you know? So he kind of, he kind of made me, he kind of, we kind of pushed each other throughout our four years, you know? Just trying to see who develops the most and yeah. But definitely, um, definitely work hard but I feel as though I can work harder as well if that makes sense when you look back on your four years uh, at college kind of what are the the sort of the big standout memories for you and how would you kind of I guess summarize the whole experience man I got I got two I got two examples it's so weird like one time we were playing I think at Illinois and they were ranked and then um I think I had a great game. I think I had a double-double, like hella, I was about to say hella, that's so American. I had a lot of blocks. I had a lot of blocks. And uh, I think we came down, someone took a shot. They missed it. I got the offensive rebound, gave it back to one of my teammates, Devin Marble. And I mean, we ended up winning the game. But in the locker room after, he was like, yo, I'm so proud of you, man. And that moment right there, it sounds so soft and so simple, where it's just like, yeah, I've got the, I've got the respect to my teammates, you know? Because in the back of my mind, I was like, I haven't been playing my freshman year. I'm playing my sophomore year. Like, what should I transfer? Should I do X, Y, and Z? But just that moment of him telling me, yeah, I see what you're doing. I haven't told you every day, but I've been noticing every, all the work you're putting in and today's showing up, you know? And I think after that, I had a couple good, good more games after that. But yeah, that moment, definitely. And I think just senior night, having my family come over from England was obviously a great experience. Having to meet all my friends over there. So I think those two moments, even though obviously it sounds like one is completely over the other but just over the course of my four years just earning everyone's respect you know like obviously I'm not the best scorer in history the best rebounder but just my improvement and what I did for the program I think it it means a lot to the people there so yeah I was going to say that it's it's a rare thing especially for um for British for British players to see them complete four years at the same school um, it's always something that I notice, and and you know, hearing you you there sort of say, oh, you know, like first first two years you didn't really play a lot, and you kind of managed to stick the course. You know, were there moments where you were like, you know, I, I should get out of here, transfer somewhere else, um, or was it very much like, you know, I've got to earn my dues. This is part of the process, and I, you know, appreciate it's going to take time. Yeah, I think early on it was just part of the process. You know, uh, I think there was like. A few weeks in the summer where I may have been red shirted, but to be honest, I just wanted to play as much as I could, you know. So I kind of didn't tell the coaches not to do that, but I kind of stirred them in the direction that I'm able to play. Just let me get some experience, you know. Plus, I didn't really want to be leaving school. At, I think I would have been 24, turning 25, which is which is not the best thing, obviously. So yeah, I think I think just understanding that it's a process. I'm a big guy. I haven't been playing. For, I think I was playing for like three or four years. Now, like four or five years before then so it's a big jump you know uh, obviously there was frustration but I think a lot of the time that was people from the outside you know like walking on campus like yo you should be playing more blah 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 I'm like you have to like laugh off you know like yeah I know it's crazy blah 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 but at the end of the day people don't see what the coaches are doing for you you know like I, I tell people that coach McCaffrey I think shouted at me every day 
<laughs> that I was in Iowa like for four straight years and my freshman year I was like why is this guy shouting at me like this is crazy and then one of my older guys Matt Gatons it was just like the day he stopped shouting at you it means he doesn't care about your development or who you are as a player and over the course of my time now I've seen him stop shouting at certain individuals and then they move on to different opportunities or they don't maximize the potential but with me he was constantly on me you know along with the rest of the coaching stuff so every day I just saw that they cared and they were going to put me in position to succeed and I think going into my senior year I just told them I want to be six man of the year you know it was kind of like my goal regardless of whether I started or came off the bench I just wanted that to be one of the goals and obviously I was able to achieve that so I think that's something I pride myself on too. I was going to briefly touch upon that and just ask about kind of like uh sort of embracing a role and being willing to do things that maybe other people aren't willing to do and also being willing to suppress your own ego you know and your own minutes your own your own production um for the good of the yeah. team like do you find that a difficult thing to do or do you think that's kind of like it's just again you know winning's the priority and i'll do you know whatever is necessary whatever the team or the coach wants of me Um, it's tough early on because obviously you're coming from England. So back in England, you're like, oh, you're the guy who made it to America, you know? So you want to play, you want to put up the numbers. But at the same time, you have to understand that it is a process. And even though I want to shoot threes, even though I want to handle the ball, we have better guys right now at that than me. So let me just focus on offensive rebounding, finishing at the rim, running the floor, setting screen. Similar to what I do now, you know? Like today in practice, I think I hit like 15 threes in a row and my teammates were looking at me like, why don't you shoot threes? It's like, I can, but I'm not going to shoot better than you. So why not? I just do what I'm best at, you know, for now. Obviously you want to continue to work in your game. Like people are surprised when they see me shoot. Like I shoot, not to brag, but I shoot like 80% in practice. I shoot 50% from three in practice. But when it comes to the games, I know where my bread is buried, you know. I know this is what the coaches want from me. So I'm going to do that. Because a lot of times... I try and tell like the, the I'm, I'm not really old, but I try and tell the younger people, you know, if you do, if coach tells you to do 10 things and you do all 10, by the end of the time you've done the 10, he's, he's going to let you do like one or two things that he doesn't really want you to do, but you can do, you know? So in a game, I'm doing everything the coach wants me to do. I'm allowed to hit that little baseline jumper. I'm allowed to take a couple of dribbles on the break, you know? So I think just understanding the politics of the game, understanding that, this is what I'm here for, you know? So let me just do what they want me to do, but at the same time, keep developing, keep working on my game in the summer. So if a coach doesn't need me to hear 17-4, if a coach doesn't need me to fake dribble handoff, I can do it, but let me not do it right now, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's not, it's not like, it's not like uh, hindering yourself or doing less of what you can. It's kind of just doing what you need to do to make it to the next level, you know, which I think I've, I've done at every level I've been at. So, yeah. What do you think are the biggest lessons that you took from college that you carried with you into your into your pro career? Um, just not everyone turns pro. Not everyone turns pro. Because uh, you think if you go to college, you go to, a, I think it's a Power Six conference, you're just going to go pro. And a lot of times, by the time guys are done with their fourth year, they, they've lost the love of the game or they've signed in a country they don't want to be in and by the time next summer comes back, they're back in the city, you know, just, I wouldn't say working a regular job, but not doing something they want to do, you know? So I understood that not everything is given. So I kind of just, I kind of tried to become a pro before I was even pro, you know? So my third 
my third and fourth year is kind of just taking time out of my day to like really research opportunities, the European leagues and stuff like that. So I was kind of a pro before I began one. So I think the main thing is that for the young guys that are going to college now, like I speak to Josh a lot, who just went to Iowa. Yeah. And I just tell him that like, not everyone's a pro, like the hard work starts now. And once you turn pro, it's, it's even more difficult to keep a job, to stay in the league, you know? So yeah, just not pretty much enough. Nothing's guaranteed just because you're at this level, you know? At what point did you, like, were you dead set on being a pro before you stepped on campus uh, for your college career or kind of did that come after the first couple of years and, you know, you started seeing minutes in your junior year a bit more and have had a bit more production? No, just from the beginning. Uh, like I said, I was best friends to this day with Aaron White and we both were just on the same page, you know, like we wanted to play professionally regardless, regardless of whether it was with the NBA or Europe. We just wanted to had that be our lifestyle, you know, because we love basketball so much. Like a lot of guys, they play, but they don't watch the game, they don't study the game. They're just like being out there and playing, you know, but I love recovering in anticipation of practice. Like I'm ready to go. I love watching any talk, any sort of basketball. Uh, so yeah, just being in love with the game, just, just knowing that what well, I can play professionally for 10 or 15 years max. So I might as well try and focus on that before I even touch down in my first year. So yeah, I always wanted to be a pro. Never want to work work a real job in my life, you know. I never want to be. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but I have an opportunity in front of me to like kind of just play a kid sport for a couple of years. So I might as well just try and try and do it for as long as I can, you know. Yeah, one hundred percent. The uh, so after after finishing finishing college, you know, there was obviously a few things that happened. Uh, you had a bunch of, of workouts, NBA workouts. There was the Portsmouth Inv- Invitational Tournament, which is the sort of, I guess, pre-draft camp, so to speak, for, for seniors, which you obviously produced very well yeah. at as well. Um, kind of, I'm assuming you had one eye on the NBA. Uh, you ended up at an NBA Summer League with, with Miami. Um, kind of, like, what was your thought process at that time? Were you like, I'm going to end up in the NBA? Were you very certain that, that was going to happen? Um, or were you like, you know, I feel like I've got an opportunity, I feel like I could, uh, but I'm keeping options open in Europe as well, kind of like, what was your mentality uh, coming out of college? Uh, I think my mentality after college was just uh, continuing to show what I can do, you know, and kind of roll with the punches wherever that would take me. Obviously, I knew I could actually start making money uh, for playing the game that I work a lot at, you know, so I think just my mindset was continue to to show people that I can play, that I can play at a high level, that I can produce uh, with more minutes. Because I think um, I think in college I didn't even play 20 minutes a game my senior year, so people were kind of still um, iffy. Not I don't know if iffy is the word, hesitant, hesitant about me, you know, because it's like, okay, why isn't this guy playing more if he's meant to be that good, you know, type of thing. So I kind of had to just produce in the minutes I got, and I think. Over the course of Portsmouth Summer League, I was able to prove that if you do give me the minutes and opportunity, I can produce, you know. Not to take anything away from the coaches at Iowa. They did so much for me, you know. But I think just with the minutes I had my senior year and over the course of my career, it was kind of difficult to to gauge what type of player I was. The NBA Summer League experience. So there was was obviously two uh, that you took part in. It was Orlando and and, and Vegas, right? And in Orlando, you didn't end up playing, playing that much. 
Uh, and in, I think yeah. it was in Vegas, there was a guy that was originally playing in front of you, ended up signing with Brooklyn, which ended up giving you an opportunity. Yeah. Kind of in Orlando when you weren't playing so much, I, I can't remember, I, I'm sure I heard you say in some interview, or I listened, you said about Juwan Howard, gave you some words of encouragement that kind of like kept you going when you were getting a bit frustrated with it all. Yeah. Um, yes, I think Orlando, I think I was the second big behind a guy called Willie Reed. He ended up signing, played a couple of years in the NBA. Um, and then after that, I wouldn't say I was like down in the dumps, but obviously you want to play. Obviously it's fun to be in America. It's fun to be in Orlando, but you want to play, you know, then he ended up signing, uh, which opened the door for me. And over the course of the days there, it was just like, it wasn't like generic stuff he was telling me, just like encouragement, you know, like stay the course, you're going to get opportunity here soon. And I was like, okay, this is just typical like coach talk type of thing, you know, kind of hanging my head. And then um, I ended up, I think started a few games in Vegas. And luckily a lot of times when you go to summer league, uh, everyone's trying to make their roster, you know? So point guards don't really play like point guards, you know, they kind of play like masquerading There's two guards. But I, I ended up uh, having, I think, Shabazz Napier, Justice Winslow and what's the guy's name? Josh Richardson on my team. So it was like three guys already established, you know? So Shabazz, I think Shabazz Napier just told me, yo, I'm already on the team. Like if you just run and your hands are good, I'm going to get you the ball. So he got me the ball a couple of times. I think I had a couple of good games. So yeah, it was a good experience. It was a really fun experience, especially playing with guys who don't really have anything to lose, you know? There's a lot of guys in those situations that are kind of hesitant, nervous, but those guys... We're just like, let's see, let's see what we can do, you know? Which is, I think, what Summer League's about. Playing with, you know, a bunch of NBA-level guys like that in that sort of environment, did it, um, I guess, almost increase your, your confidence in your own ability and, and, and make you think that kind of you're at that level or thereabouts? Yeah, definitely. Uh, whenever you play against guys who have a name for themselves, you kind of just want to see where you rank, stack up against them, you know? So I was playing against a couple of lottery guys, a couple of guys who've been in the league, and I kind of held my own, you know, especially like during my draft workouts and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it was just a good feeling because at that point you just want to build confidence, you know, because obviously you haven't been playing a lot. The minutes have been up and down, but once you go against guys with those type of names, those type of games, and you kind of hold your own or play better than them, it's, it's a great feeling, you know. The NBA workout experience, you just jogged my memory about something else I read, was that uh, one of the standout workouts you had was in LA against Jaleel Okafor. Um, kind of, you know, you don't need to, sp don't need to speak yeah. about don't need to speak about that one specifically, but if if that's the one, you know, so be it. But like, can you kind of, yeah, talk about the NBA workout experience and sort of standout workouts you had and sort of how that whole process was? Yeah, so uh, after Iowa, I ended up going to the Portsmouth, Portsmouth Invitational, which like you said, it's for seniors. Uh, went down there with Coach McCaffrey, met with a few agents, uh, ended up signing with one, and they sent me out to Vegas. Um, I think, I can't remember the name of it. It was like this training facility for pre-draft workouts. Guys been in the league for a few years. So Is that Impact? Is it Impact? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I went to Impact. Uh, so, yeah, did a couple. We did our whole draft day workout, you know, uh, kind of showing what we could do on the court. And then I think I ended up having like, I think 18 workouts, something like that. And a lot of times they put like the lottery picks with like the lower level guys just so they can go through the motions, you know? So I remember I, I, I landed in LA. I was like, okay, who else is in my workout group? Because there's usually like five or six guys and my agents told me like, it's you and 
to the local four. I was like, oh, okay, that's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty interesting. Um, so yeah, I ended up going there, ended up having one of my better workouts, holding my own. Yeah, but uh, it was a good experience. It was a good experience um, going against him. Obviously, great player, but I kind of, kind of held my own, you know, which yeah. was a, which was a good feeling. And I think before then or after then. I think I had a workout with Miami, and that was one of my better ones. So I think that's why I ended up on the summer league team. But like I said, when you go against the guys with the names and you and you do pretty well yourself, it's a it's an encouraging feeling, you know. Yeah. When it came when it came down to um, you know actually signing signing a a, a rookie contract, kind of uh, sort yeah. of. What were the options on the table? I do uh, recall you kind of speaking that, saying that you had options with some G League teams to kind of float around and sort of stay closer, I guess, to the NBA uh, to try and get in. But you felt like, you know, Europe was was the best route kind of. Um, yeah, can you kind of recall what your thought process was around that and, and, and why you made the decision to sort of, I guess, leave the G League and, and behind and, and make the choice to, to come to Europe? Yeah, I think... Um... From my perspective, I've I've lived in both. Well, not my perspective; it's it's reality. But um, I've lived in obviously both in Europe and America, you know. So I kind of I don't really have the hesitation to to go back to any country in Europe, you know. I'm not like a a person who lived in America their whole life who's had their eyes set on the NBA and nothing is going to get in the way with that. I'm kind of I kind of uh, open my options, you know. And I think just the opportunity that the agent put in front of me was too good to pass up, you know, like a high-level European team, you know, first year out. So I think I just had to jump at that opportunity. But in terms of the G League, I had a few offers. I can't remember the team names. I think they might have even changed the names at this point. But, um, yeah, I don't regret not going over there. I think I made the right decision in terms of, like, financially, it was a lot better at the time. Obviously, the G League has improved. Financially, it was a lot better than staying in America. Um, and just in terms of development, you know, I think it was a it was a better option, so I have no regrets about that. What did it feel like to sign that first rookie deal? Man, it felt like all those years of hard work kind of kind of paid off, you know. Obviously, they say once you turn pro, that's when the real work starts. But just signing it um, after the year I had, it was just a great experience, you know. Just knowing that, okay. This is your life for the next X amount of years. You need to really focus on this now. Then I was just happy, you know, because I think me, me and Aaron signed around the same time. Um, a lot of my other, a lot of my other high school friends were doing the same thing, and we're just like, it was kind of refreshing all over again, you know, because like going from England to high school was a new experience, and now it's college to the pros is the new experience, you know. So I was kind of just excited to hit the ground running. One one thing I I have to ask, and I know uh, I know a lot of people don't like talking about money, but uh, your <laughs> your your agent uh, your agent oh, went man. your agent went yeah. on record. I feel like you know what I'm going to say. Your agent went on record at the time and said that uh, he believes that you're potentially uh, got the one of the best uh, rookie deal, one of the best paid rookie contracts in Europe. Now I'm not asking you to confirm whether or not that's true, um, but. <laughs> Uh, one, I guess, what was your reaction to hearing that your agent said that? Did that bother you in any type of way? Um, and then two, I guess, like just on the financial side of things, like, of course, you know, you've been at college for four years. Uh, you know, you've been slumming out in the States. And now, like, you're going into your first job out of, out of university, so to speak. 
and you're earning a lot of money. Like, yeah. I guess that must give you some level of feeling of security, stability, relief. Um, yeah, I'd be interested to kind of just hear all the, the thoughts that are around that. Yeah, when I saw the quote, I think my teammates texted this to me and they immediately started saying like, yo, don't you owe me like $10 or $15? <laughs> and I was like, yo, I don't know what this guy, I don't know what this guy is talking about. First of all, obviously it was a, it's a good deal compared to anything because obviously you don't make anything in college, but I think that was a little, uh, that was a little like a colored statement, you know, to try and make himself look better. But I pre- I definitely appreciate the the contract he, the first few contracts he got me. So, uh, yeah. But in terms of like having that financial stability, I think just for me, it was just, it was just a good feeling to know that my, I could take care of my family, you know? Like, I think the one thing I'm happy that I've, I've done like throughout my career, I take, uh, take care of my family, you know? So my mom was able to retire. Um, I can take care of my family if anything comes up, which is the main thing. Uh, if you know me, I don't really do a lot. I don't really spend a lot. So um, I guess my, my meals have gotten a little more expensive. <laughs> um, but besides that, nothing's really changed, really. Uh, I think the main thing I've, I've purchased is like electronics. And those last for like five. I've had the same phone for, I think, four years, same laptop of five. I've got the chunky PS4. So, I mean, I'm not really not really flashy you know but it's always good in the back of your mind to be able to like if someone calls you for a favor you're able to help them out you know so yeah. that's a great thing to have do you you know we we hear obviously we it's different scales right but there's all these stories about uh you know nba players that earn earn all this money over their career and end up end up going broke kind of when you look at your own uh professional career and sort of the money that you're earning are you sort of actively trying to make that money work for you, making investments, thinking about sort of the longer term, what you can uh, do to ensure that, you know, like you said, your career window is, you know, 10, maybe 15 years if you're lucky. Um, Are you doing things to kind of ensure that like afterwards you're in a good place, you're kind of set up so that uh, you make the most of it so that it's not just a, you know, 10 year flash in a pan afterwards you're starting back at zero? Yeah, for sure. Obviously, you don't, you don't, you don't just want your money to be sitting there, you know. But I think, um, I think once I started, once I signed my first contract, I think it was 2015. Like people, that was the era of people like really starting to become like moguls and their own bosses and creators and stuff like that, you know. So I think I signed in the right era. I think my first two years, I was really just focused on basketball, you know. Like, okay, I'm getting this every month. Let me just leave that there. If people need help, I can help them. But Right now, I'm just focused on that. And these last few years, I've been trying to like get into like property and maybe investing in apps and stuff like that, you know. So yeah. um, it's definitely something I'm becoming more interested in. It's not something I'm deadly focused on now because I think eventually things will take care of themselves in terms of that, you know. But um, yeah, definitely the past year, I'm definitely looking more into making the money work for me. And then, so that on the court, uh, obviously you you signed with Bamberg, a Euroleague t- a Euroleague team, yeah. um, which is obviously massive, big time. There's only a handful handful of guys, not not that many that have that have British from from the UK that have, that have played in Euroleague. Uh, and of course, you know, midway through that season, ended up uh, switching and going to another German side, uh, Gießen. Um, kind of, yeah. why did that happen? Kind of, what your what was your take on, on that initial part of the season uh, with Bamberg? I think if you know me, you know I'm a, I'm not a guy who likes to point fingers, you know? I think I try and take 
personal responsibility with everything that's happened in my life. Because I think as humans, we have to make choices, you know, whether good or bad. So I think looking back, I don't think I was necessarily ready for that jump. But at the, at the same time, I don't think I was necessarily prepared for that jump, if that, if you know what I mean. So maybe maybe I would have been ready my second year or halfway through my first year, but I definitely wasn't put in a position to succeed my initially when I touched down, you know? Yeah. So I think the rookie transition was completely lost on me, you know? It was kind of just like, you're on your own, make it work, you know? And obviously, you can see I, from my career, I've had success in levels in Europe and domestic levels in most of the countries I've played in, you know? But that was, a, that was just a big jump, especially from not playing a lot to being expected to be a starting fireman on a Euroleague team. And obviously, looking back, I could have done more. I should have done more. But definitely, uh, it was a tough, it was a tough, it was a tough few months there initially to start off with, you know, kind of questioning whether you wanted to keep playing, stuff like that. So it was a, it was a, it was a weird experience because kind of like from the age of when I start 14 to, so for the first almost 10 years, it's just been all love, you know, all development or all, all love or all take your time. It's going to be okay to immediately like, yo, we need results. We're paying you X amount of money. You're not doing it. And then relationships start to go in a different direction. Self-doubt. You're living in your own in this big house by yourself in the middle of nowhere. So it was tough. But looking back, I wouldn't change anything because it kind of got me to where I am now. Mm. Um, and definitely if that opportunity to play at that level comes again, I'm definitely going to be ready. So I think once I do get back at that level, it's going to be like a full circle experience. You know, like you started your career at this level, kind of took a wonky path and now you're back at that level i think it's going to be a, a great story to tell you know so yeah do you feel like you're a euro league level player and you can contribute uh in the euro league for sure for sure um i think just looking at my career once i've given once i've been given opportunities that I've produced you know like uh if you look at euro basket playing against nba all-stars big guys and i'm putting up numbers and obviously it's a small sample size but at the end of the day it's only you can only do so much in the opportunities you have, you know. So that was like a small sample size of what I could do if I play with the right people around me in the right organization with the right opportunities. I can be one of those contributing bigs, you know. Yeah. Obviously, everyone wants to start, but yeah, I'm definitely I definitely feel as though I'm at that level, and I'll get back at that level, you know. Um, I just need to establish myself a little more in Europe, keep putting up the numbers I'm putting up, and yeah, I'll be back there. Pretty you, soon, I think. You you mentioned it there, and I I I'm aware of time, and I do want to talk about uh, Great Britain and represent the national team. Um, you know, I'm in no rush, sir. Whatever you want. <laughs> of course, you're not. Just just for context for the audience, obviously you're staying up until four o'clock in the morning for the NBA finals game. So you got out <laughs> you got hours to burn. Meanwhile, I'm, me on the other hand, yeah. it's, it's nine p.m. here, and I've got other things to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, no, no, no. It's, it's um yeah. So GB is it's uh. You know the the big tournament for you was obviously Eurobasket 2017 was was a bit of a coming out party I would say um, especially on the on on the international stage uh, like that but kind of you know before then like uh, you've been consistent with GB now for for what since two was your first your first call up in 2015 or was it earlier than that uh, yeah I think 15 whenever whenever it was the qualifiers yeah. 
Because you, yeah, I think it would. I think it was twenty fifteen. Because I think you, that was just after you graduated in your rookie year. I think. Um, kind of, yeah. Like first of all, I guess, what, what does it mean for you to represent Great Britain senior men? And, and kind of, do you remember that first time you got a call uh, to ask you to invite you to training camp and kind of how it made you feel? Yeah, obviously, uh, you always want to play for your country. Uh, like I said, what going to that Dan camp and seeing like all these giants giant guys just dunking everything and just playing with so much joy it kind of just inspires you to want to be at that level you know so um i think when 2012 came um, i had an opportunity to be on the olympic team but i think they went with more established guys and being cut early on kind of just soured me to the whole gd england basketball like if they don't want me then you can't ever have me you know but i think they got a new group of guys i think they got a uh, coach prunty and uh, and he kind of just reached out to me like, yo, it's a new type of organization. We want you to be a part of the team going forward. And I was just like, Eurobasket is a huge opportunity, you know? So I kind of just kind of went with it, went there, uh, ended up playing with a great group of guys, Teddy Okafor, Dan Clark, Kieran. So, yeah, it was a it was a great experience for me. Uh, and obviously, hopefully those days continue. In the, so did you actually end up at a training camp prior to the London 2012 Olympics, or was it more uh, phone conversations about potentially bringing you in? Yeah, it was more, it was more conversations. I think I was like on the initial roster when they put out like a lot of, a lot of names and stuff like that. But I think when I was at college, I just wanted to focus on the college season, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Eurobasket 2017, obviously your performances. I mean, I, I don't know. Did you finish up as the leader in efficiency over the whole, whole of the tournament? I'm not sure, but we went 0 and 5. <laughs> That's why I remember. We didn't, win, we didn't win the game. I remember I was crying at the press conference like an idiot. But oh yeah, yeah. of course that was that, I think that, I had, was that I had, year. I, yeah, go on. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Individually, I had a a pretty a pretty solid uh, couple of games, but I feel I feel as though if we would have won those games, we would have put not only myself but the team on a higher level. You know, like GB won against Russia, Turkey, and Turkey, or like Belgium and stuff. Yeah, yeah, those were some tough losses for sure. How do you feel about sort of where the program is at the moment? Obviously, you're in the midst of uh, Eurobasket 2021 qualifying um, during the last window in in February. Uh, split the games, uh, but obviously a big win win over Germany. Kind of, yeah. How, how do you feel about the the current group? Um, and how are you feeling about the team's chances of qualifying for for, for Eurobasket? I feel good about the current group. Um, obviously, we have a couple of established guys, a couple of familiar faces in the organization, uh, which is always good. So there's not that uh, transition, you know, having to play with new people, stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I think the talent level keeps improving uh, with every window. Uh, we have a solid group of guys, good coaching staff. Uh, when, when it comes to windows, it's always difficult, you know. You have 10 days to kind of establish, like, a completely new group of guys, learn the plays, offense, defense, X, Y, and Z's, and then just go out there and play, you know. So, personally, I prefer to have a few a few weeks in the summer. But when it comes to the windows, it's a it's a great opportunity to us. You're forced to band together, you know. Um, so I think in this upcoming window, in a few weeks, I think it's going to be a another great opportunity. I'm not really sure how they're going to do it. Maybe a bubble situation um, is what I've been hearing. So, yeah, I think we've we've got a long list of guys who can make the team. Uh, I'm sure the coaching staff will put put the guys together who they think are going to be able to 
Joe within that window. I think we can. I think we're in great position to get two wins, um, especially with uh, the guys we had over the years. Everyone's playing well in whatever league they're in right now. So looking forward to it. I was I was going to say yeah, Fever announced to probably two weeks ago um, that the the games are moving to to a bubble situation with a central host venue um, in groups of four or eight, and uh, okay. I hadn't fully clocked that actually during the next window for GB it was a, it was a home double header, so which means I mean yeah. I mean that's all but guaranteed that you're going to miss two home you're going to lose two home games, you know do you think that that yeah. uh, do you how much do you think that impacts you know your guys' performance. Obviously, Newcastle uh, was a was a great situation where you know the organisation did a great job of, of filling it and and having a packed crowd. Yeah. Um, do you think that sort of moving to a bubble situation where you guys are now going to be in a neutral venue somewhere somewhere in Europe um, could negatively impact your chances of, of registering wins? Um, I think it just depends on the group of guys you bring in. We've got a group of guys that don't really care about where they play. You know, uh, we could be playing in Newcastle, which is obviously a great environment. We could be playing in Turkey against 20,000 people. We kind of just want to be out there trying to represent, you know. So I think regardless of where we are, um, under weather conditions, we're going to go out and play hard. And then the other the other thing on on uh, GB, I don't know, you, you, on Twitter this morning, I put out a clip from, uh, I went into London Lions practice a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, one of the players that they've signed this year is Byron Mullins, who's kind of been rumoured about suiting up for GB for since 2011, 2012. Um, and he seems pretty intent that uh, he's going to be playing in the next, well, being included in the squad at least uh, for the next window. Um, yeah. You know, when you talk about him as an addition to the to the team, like obviously he's gonna be in the front court with you uh you know how much of a boost and addition uh do you think he'll be potentially to the squad uh i think it'll be a great addition um i watched a couple of the clips uh, you guys put up from the game in the champions league qualifiers so he's very versatile uh, which is good for the team and i think at, at this point in gb we just need to continue to bring in as much talent as possible you know and let the chips fall where they may um but definitely could help us another big body super versatile inside-outside game. So I think we'll complement each other well if we're both on the team. And yeah, just going forward, I think we just need to continue to bring in as much time as possible because if you have 1 through 12 who can do everything on the court, um, it's going to be exciting time. So yeah, I look forward to playing with them. It should be interesting. How do you feel the communication has been from the Federation to you guys as players? Like, are you in regular contact with them? Kind of how much in the loop are you of the sort of the upcoming window? Um, or is it very much more a case of, you know, you get to a closer to the, to the time and then you get a call, oh, we need you in to training camp in the next week or two? Yeah, so uh, we still have a group chat from the last window. Uh, so guys like uh, Jamie, Jamie Smith, keep us updated. I think around, I think maybe a few days before official announcements or around the same time. So we're not kind of like uh, blindsided by any of the news, you know, so, so that's good. But um, they do a good job of keeping us updated. Um, obviously, sometimes with the financial situation, it's, it's, it's pretty difficult to know where we're going to be staying and travel plans and stuff like that. But with the information they have and the money they have available, I think they do a, a really good job of keeping us all updated. During the course of the season, uh, how much are you in touch with other GB guys, other Brit- not necessarily GB national team, but obviously GB national team, but also you know British players in general? Who are the guys that you speak to on a regular basis? Are they do you follow sort of how other guys are doing and keeping up to date with kind of how you're doing in your respective leagues? Yeah, so um, I have all the apps on my phone. I know where all the guys are playing. So uh, yeah, I spoke to Miles a few days ago about how he's starting off in France. Um, 
spoke to Teddy, I think two days ago, but that was more of just a banter, <laughs> a banter conversation. But then obviously guys like Will Saunders, Alexander Scotland Williamson, those are my really close friends. So I keep I keep track of everyone. Um, I think I think Obi just had a good start to his season in Le Mans. He had a pretty good game. Um, trying to think who else there is. Um, but yeah, I know everyone is playing. Obviously, you guys at Hoosfix do a good job of keeping us up to date on everything. So yeah. Just trying, just trying to have those conversations. Try and see how guys are playing. Like Carl Wheel still in Italy. Uh, Carl Johnson's uh, back in Canada. So yeah, just checking in all the guys, see how they're playing. Uh, if they have a good game, try and reach out to them. You know, tell them I see them working stuff like that. So like I said, we have a good group of guys. Everyone's everyone's pretty humble. Everyone works hard. So just can't wait for the next window so we can talk a little shit <laughs> when we get back together. Have you seen any uh, young British guys that you're uh, excited about um, and potentially, you know, the future in terms of joining you guys on the on the GB senior team? Man, young guys. Uh, I think the only young guy who I'm really paying close attention to, because obviously there's a connection there, is Josh. Yeah, uh, Josh Ogundeli. Iowa. Yeah, so, yeah, Josh Ogundeli. Uh, similar situation to me, England to, England to Iowa, so... He's one of the guys I look at. Um, definitely going to keep update with him. Were you involved with his recruiting? Doing, but... Yeah, so uh, I saw, before anyone reached out to me, I saw that he was getting recruited by Iowa. I reached out to him, see if he had any questions, just the typical stuff, you know. And then I think Coach McCaffrey called me to see, like, to, like, uh, reached out to see the situation with him, you know, and I told him, i yeah, I spoke to him before, similar situation. He was like, yeah, if you just continue to keep that keep that uh, relationship going, conversation, I was like, yeah, that would happen regardless, you know. So he reached out to me a few times. He had a good convers- few conversations on the phone about all the questions he had for me, and then I was thrilled to see he signed there. So I think he's over there now. I think I think he messaged me. I haven't messaged him back yet. I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty bad with messages. But, yeah, uh, shout out to Josh. I think he's going to... If I do have any records at Iowa, he's going to break them all within, I think, the first year. I'll be there. Nice. So jumping jumping back to your to your to your pro career, um, you know, after that after that rookie year, uh, you ended up in in Italy uh, with Sassari. Um, kind of, how was that as an experience? Uh, obviously, a new country. First time you made the switch from uh, one country in Europe to another country in Europe for your pro career. Uh, how, how was the transition? Yeah. And how did you find it? Uh, it was a fun transition. Uh, I think the main thing about me is I've always had a good group of guys on my team, you know, to keep you level-headed, to to kind of have that escape away from basketball. So uh, we had guys like former NBA players like Darius Johnson Odom. He was a he was a big part of the the reason I had some success there, and a couple of other guys, just veterans in the league, you know. So I think we started off well, and then with with certain teams in Europe, when they're at a certain level, once you start losing, they can bring in new guys, you know? Once we started losing, we had a brief stretch because we played Champions League. I think we lost, I think, like six games in a row of Champions League and domestic league. And in Europe, that's that's like a death wish, you know? So we thought, okay, we're all going to leave the team, you know? Like, we're all going to get cut. And I was like, okay, I've been through this before. It's my second year. I was like, pissed angry every day you know like shit it's happening again I'm never going to get out of this rut of not establishing myself in Europe you know but they ended up keeping me they ended up keeping us all so I think four guys were sitting on the bench because you're only like five foreigners so I think we had I think seven or eight foreigners so every game there was like two or three of us not playing you know 
and then eventually the guys that weren't playing started to leave. So that was the last one there. Kind of like ignorant, like I can make it back. I can make it back into the into the lineup, you know. And in Europe, once you're winning, the, the coaches don't really want to change anything, you know. So I kind of had to plead with the organization to let me go, you know, type of thing. So I ended up leaving. I think a few months to the end of the season, but I had to leave, you know, just so I could start putting up numbers again, you know, because a lot of times they say, oh, numbers don't matter as long as you're a part of a winning team. And then you see a guy average 20 points on the worst team in the league and he goes to a different, to a much better situation, you know. So at the end of the day, I kind of had to continue to establish myself, you know. So that's when I made the move to France. France, yeah. Yeah, for the second half of the season. I was going to say, how, how hard is it to balance, like, uh, that whole thing of being aware that everything you do is potentially going to impact your job next season, right? It's like if you have a bad if you have a bad run, it could potentially change people's perception of you, and then <clears throat> and then put you in a situation where you don't have as many many offers on the table. And obviously, the other thing is like you just yeah. said, you've got to balance you've got to balance your own you know personal production with the team's performance as well, because of course of course it's important. You want the team to win. You want you want to have success. Um, how, yeah. how do you approach that? Uh, early on, it was difficult because um, obviously I've been part of winning teams earlier in my career, but I wasn't contributing to winning. So obviously I'm happy the team is doing well. I'm happy we're reaching these goals, but very early on in your career, if you're not a part of it, it's not necessarily like you're not as happy, but you just understand that you need to be a part of the winning, you know, because you don't want to be replaceable, which is why I was my first two stops in Europe. I always tell people I've been fired from my first <laughs> first two jobs and that's made me the man I am today. So um, it's difficult. You kind of have to balance it. You know, you, you kind of have to understand that, okay, I have this offensive rebound. I need to go back up with it as opposed to kicking it out, resetting the offense, you know? So there is a level of selfishness, but it has to be within the team structure, you know? I can't be taking 20 shots every game. I have to do the most I can with the six or seven shots I'm going to make, you know, which is why I think I'm so efficient. I don't know when I'm getting it back, you know. <laughs> Makes sense. The, um, in Cesare, so with Cesari briefly, uh, so when you were playing basketball Champions League, that was uh, during that season. I was involved with the basketball Champions League for the first few years, just helping them out with a few things. So I was always covering game night. I'd always try and get your games. Um, but there was, there was one game that sticks out in my memory because, you hit a buzzer beater to tie it and send it to overtime, uh, and I don't know whether you've yeah. I don't know whether you've seen the, um, the 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 TV broadcast of that game. Jeffrey Taylor's commentating, and he's his yeah. voice completely breaks as he calls you hitting <laughs> it, and it's he screams at the highest yeah. pitch, and it's the funniest thing I've ever heard. Um, but it's great to see you do like kind of when you talk about individual shots does that one stick out like uh in sort of standout moments because obviously it was it was a big shot at the time yeah for sure i think i've only watched it once when like my teammate showed me right after the game and i was kind of just laughing you know because i obviously i missed the free throw to to win the game but we ended up winning the overtime so it was kind of a relief you know but yeah that was kind of in the part of the season where i don't know where if i'm staying or where i'm going i'm hearing rumors that they're bringing in three other big guys the whole foreigners is going to switch, going to go like 1A, you know, it's going to be a completely different team. So I think I started off the game pretty bad, but then my teammates were just like, you know, if this is it, let's just go out on a bang, you know? So I was like, kind of like, fuck it. I think I got a couple of dunks, got that layup. Yeah, so it was just, it was a, it would have been a lot better if I made the free throw, you know? <laughs> I stick there, but... 
<laughs> I'm just so glad I like I said, the main thing you just want to contribute to winning, especially early in your career, you know. So yeah. That was a great example of that. And in France, like um again, you know, I've heard you say that that it was just it was such an athletic league. So many athletes. Kinda Yeah. When you when you compare like so you've played what, Germany, France, Italy, Spain, and now Turkey. When you kind of compare yeah. all of those leagues where do you put each one and kind of how, how does each one differ? Um, I think this is just my opinion. These are like in the rankings every year when they come out. I think Spain is definitely the, the toughest league. Uh, just the development of every every player, you know, like every player can do it all on the court. Uh, they have a lot of Euro League, Euro Cup, Champions League, uh, European competition teams. Um, then I'll say Turkey then I'd probably say France and Germany are equal. Um, in terms of Spain, like I said, there's just, they just feel with like former NBA guys, you know, on pretty much every team, high-level EuroLeague guys. So it's good. It's a good league because anyone can beat anyone, you know, like the lowest level team can beat the top team if they come to their house. So I think just they're ultra-developed, uh, which I think shows in like the, I think Spain won the World Cup. So like their domestic league, their domestic players are so like versatile and talented. Not that others aren't, but I think they just established themselves as that in Europe. Like a lot of guys from England even go over to Spain uh, as youth. You know, I think like Jacob and DC, they both did that. So, and I think uh, Turkey's right after that. Um, just great team, great league. Uh, like I said, NBA guys on a lot of the teams. Um, it's very physical, very up and down. Then um, I think just France is crazy athletic like you can come over to try and help on a garden he puts you on a poster it's all up and down it's a lot of run and gun and then germany is just it's fundamentally sound um the big guys are super strong um yeah so i think i've played in some of the best leagues in europe so far and i've had some success so yeah i'm feeling good about myself where do you think your your game is particularly suited to any one of those leagues, <clears throat> excuse me, over others? Um, or do you think you can adapt to any of them? Um, I think I can adapt to any, but I think I've got, I've given my most opportunities here in, in Turkey, you know? As the established five man, you're playing X amount of minutes. We need you to, to win this game, you know? We need everything you can do. You can't just not score. You can't just only rebound. We need, like, everything from you during this game. So um, I think I can play anywhere, but individually, um, I've had my most opportunity here, so I think that's related to success. But I think I, if I was given the opportunities, say in Israel or Greece, I'll produce the same, you know. Have you got to see any uh, BBL games at all recently? Uh, I've watched a few. I watched only when uh, one of my good friends, Will Saunders, he played for Newcastle uh, last year. I watched a couple of those games. Uh, I wouldn't call him a friend. I'll call him a close, close acquaintance, Kofi Joseph. Uh, <laughs> when he won the BBL Cup, I watched that game. Um, yeah, but besides that, uh, not not too much. What's, obviously, I know it's from a very small sample size, but you know, from from those two games that you've seen, kind of what's your perception of the BBL? Um, you know, when you look at the level, what are you kind of? How do you assess it? Um, in terms of comparing it to other leagues or? 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess comparing it to kind of where where it sits in 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 Europe, how far off do you think it is? Uh, you know, compared to obviously you know the levels that 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 you're used to playing at. Um, and I guess you know the bigger question, the reason I'm asking all these questions is is you know what would it take for us to see you play in the BBL? <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of uh, the level, I honestly I think we're we're closer than people think to other to other leagues in Europe. Um, obviously in a lot of leagues, uh, the Americans make it white is because they're the main import, you know, I'm not really sure how it works in the BBO in terms of how many Americans run a team and the, the team budgets and stuff like that. But I think the main thing, the, the BBO is missing, I think is just more, a little more structure, you know, because a lot of times in the European leagues, like with our team, we have, uh, I think two youth teams, but with BBO teams, I think there's kind of the the push and the push and pull the tug between like local leagues and the BBL. So a lot of like young young teams aren't attached to the BBL. If I'm if I'm correct in saying that. Yeah, like the uh a lot of BBL clubs don't necessarily historically haven't necessarily had the the structure beneath uh beneath them sort of to connect an entire pathway all the way through, so to speak. Uh and then yeah, and then when you're yeah. talking about opportunities for younger players, that's definitely something that uh is talked about a lot. Uh where we don't see see sort of the top the top younger guys necessarily playing or getting opportunities to play in the BBL? Yes, I think just the the thing it's missing is, is that development, you know? Because we definitely have guys that are as athletic, that can shoot as well. But I think it's just a structure overall. Um, yeah, but, but individually, like a lot of people, like it's the worst feeling, like you travel eight hours to go play a game and you're just over there stretching by yourself and all your teammates are going back and forth, the coaches are going back and forth, oh, what are you, how are you doing, blah, blah, blah. Like they've grown up in the country together, you know, switching teams, different cities, catching up with each other, and I'm just over there by myself, you know. Like I think I've only played against one British guy in my career, or two. I think like Luke Nelson and Ovi when I was in Spain. Like those are the only two, and DC obviously. So those yeah. are great experiences. But I think, I think we're right. I think we're right there. We just need like a a lot more guys to stay home. I think that's more to do with the financial stuff. But 100%. I think it's definitely possible. You're seeing stuff like. You're seeing stuff like the London Lions. The stuff they did this year was great. I think every week you guys were reporting they signed a new guy. Well, yeah, I think, how big is this roster? This is yeah, the rosters, rosters are like 16, I think. Uh, well, I think it was a 16 yeah. at uh, one point. Was, it, was there any, um, you know, like you said, I think the biggest barrier, you know, for guys like yourself is, is for sure is, is on the financial side of things. Um, but there has been changes, positive changes recently where, so, you know, the salary cap is 250000 but it doesn't include the top two highest paid British earners, uh, which means that if, if teams yeah, do yeah. have the backing, they can potentially, you know, push the boat out. Um, and so, you know, situations with the London Lions who obviously had new ownership kind of take them over this year, uh, are working with much bigger budgets than um, than we've potentially seen uh, in the BBL in, in recent years, for sure. Um, was there any conversations at all, like with the Lions? Did they reach out to you at all? Was there anything there? No. No. Not this summer. No. no. Okay. Um, but like I like I said, the stuff they're doing is is really really amazing. Yeah. That was definitely a foul at the end of the game. <laughs> On that Matthew. Was definitely a foul. Yeah, for sure. And he would have made he would have made them both, and then we would be having a completely different conversation. But um, I think just um, the willingness to like showing the rest of Europe and America the willingness to spend money. And try and get in those European competitions. I think it's a big deal. Like even a few years ago, the Riders, what they did in the Euro Cup, 
uh, I think the Lions will even exceed that this year because because of the depth and yeah. the talent they have in the roster. So, so I think once you show the rest of Europe that um, you're in it to win it, you're taking this stuff seriously. I think I think results will follow, and a lot of more guys will hopefully want to come back. You know, a hundred percent. I mean. Lions playing in Europe is a big is a big nugget for for people um, when you when when you talk about players being potentially attracted uh, to playing. But I think you know the issue. Well, the issue is COVID. It, it's a double edged sword, actually. I th- I think there's there's part of me that's like, well, uh, you know, the fact that COVID wiped out the chance for Lions to play Neptunus at home. You know, a Lithuanian team yeah. with the Lithuanian Lithuanian population in London. I mean, that's pretty much a guaranteed sellout at the Copper Box. That's potentially a lot of money made for the club, um, and that's obviously a huge downside. But then on the positives, you know, teams a lot of teams are working with reduced budgets this year, and so if you've got the money like the Lions seemingly do, uh, you're potentially going to be playing against teams that have weaker rosters than they usually do. Um, so it's a better opportunity than usual to potentially qualify or whatever. Obviously, Neptunus were, were 100% uh, Lithuanians, didn't have any import guys. So, um, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see how they do. Now now, now they haven't qualified for the regular season. Uh, you know, they're going to the FIBA Europe Cup, which, of course, has been delayed until January, um, which now yeah. I, don't, I don't know where that leaves them with the size of their roster having to pay guys for another two, two three months without them actually potentially playing games or, or as many games as they originally had scheduled especially now with the bbl season having been delayed so yes i mean covid is for sure um causing causing havoc all over the place uh so yeah so uh sorry i'm yeah, I'm, I'm digressing here all over the place the um so you did you went to france and then after that uh you did your season in spain with fuena brada right yeah and kind of you, you just said there that that was you know in your opinion the highest level uh, sort of league that, that you played in. Can you kind of, I guess, share your experiences, uh, what that was like um, and kind of what your biggest learnings were uh, in Spain? Um, yeah, I think the experience was good. Uh, obviously, I didn't I didn't have the, the role I thought I would have. Uh, I think going into it, uh, we were meant to be like a middle of the pack team. Uh, no, sorry, uh, not fighting to stay in the league, but a little bit above that, you know, like almost on the playoff verge. Mm-hmm. And we just got off to such a good start in the league that we kind of just immediately switched our our uh, thought process to, okay, we're going to make the playoffs, you know? So, so it was kind of, instead of like a development year, like let's see who we have here. It was kind of just like a win now, which obviously is what usually uh, pro teams are like. So um, I had a little bit more of a reduced role, but I think I definitely, definitely show flashes uh, when opportunity arose. I remember having a couple of good games against uh, some of the better teams in the league. So so my confidence definitely started to grow, even though I didn't necessarily have the opportunities that I, I would have liked. But um, in terms of the team's success, it was, I think it was one of the better years they've had in a, in a long time. So definitely being able to be a part of that was a good experience. A good experience. And obviously, uh, I, I think I had the opportunity to to stay I think I don't want to say that because if they didn't offer me that would be bad but yeah I think I had the I think I had the opportunity to stay but yeah just knowing that we had so much success that year and sometimes it's hard to replicate that you know regardless of who's around you so I think yeah decided to make the change back to to Germany yeah like 
you went back to Germany uh, with Würzburg, and and there you got the opportunity to play in European competition game with the FIBA Europe Cup, which obviously you had a outstanding outstanding year, making to the finals, and unfortunately uh, coming up short short there. You know, was there a um, you know how did it feel sort of going back to Germany? Obviously after your rookie year, which you know sounded semi traumatic a little bit. It was a very difficult situation. Uh, was it was it was there a sort of level of personal vindication, sort of going back and sort of having that that level of success um, in in Germany? Um, I think young me would have said yes, but over the years it's just. I think regardless of what you do, people are going to have their ideas and thoughts about you. So it was kind of just good to go back there to tell myself that, yeah, you weren't, you weren't all to blame, you know? Like, you can play in this league. You can play well. You can contribute to winning, you know? So it was kind of just that monkey off my back, that relief of, okay, it wasn't all down to me. Like, I can I can achieve at this level, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, getting back with one of the coaches that believed in me first, uh was a great experience um yeah and unfortunately we didn't meet our goals uh ended up getting injured near the end of the year um so we couldn't we couldn't make the playoffs but yeah making it to the the finals of the europe cup was was a great experience and then that kind of like brings us to obviously last season which we kind of you know spoken about we've ultimately ended up having to uh postpone the season because because of, of covid uh canceled the season and then and then obviously to the present present day you know, like I said, the, all these countries, like when you go into a new situation or a new country, you know, you, you've spoken about kind of wanting that, that stability now and sort of trying to, I guess, make your market in one place for a little while. Um, kind of before that, when you're when you're moving to a different country every single season, kind of what's your mentality going in in terms of off the court culturally, uh, you know, adapting to a different language, a different country, a different culture? You know, do you do you try and take um, do you try and take learn some of the language? Uh, are you trying to get out and, and visit sort of the different sites and uh, have different experiences off the court? Kind of, uh, what's your sort of personal approach to it? Um, I think early on in my career, uh, like a lot of the answers I've given today, I've kind of just wanted to focus on basketball. So, literally, just going from the practice to my apartment, back and forth. You know, just kind of in my own world, like trying to really make it in this basketball thing, but. I think the last few years I've really just uh, tried to engage more in the in the local culture and stuff like that. Um, especially my year in Wordsburg, um, I hung out with my teammates a lot in the city, uh, experiencing the culture more, the food, and especially these last two years in Turkey, um, starting to learn a couple of phrases, starting to have a few conversations with my teammates, indulging in the local cuisines and stuff like that. So um, I think you have to have that balance, you know. Um, early on it's just all basketball, basketball, basketball but that can drain you you know, if you sometimes you need to take a step away, like today I think, come home from practice I'm just going to watch some dumb videos on YouTube, probably FaceTime with a few people back home and just get away from it, you know, and just recharge and get ready for the next practice, so even if I did have a bad practice today, it's not on my mind constantly, you know, so yeah. I think it's, it's a good thing to try and experience the cultures, um, even though London is multicultural and there's so much to see and do. Like right now I'm living in Istanbul. I'll be stupid if I don't go see all the sites here or go out for some food I've never had before, you know. So while the opportunity is here, I might as well take advantage of it. Perfect. And then just some uh, quick fire questions to, to finish. Uh, starting with yeah. um, 
so far, up until now, the best moment of your career? Oh, the best moment of my career. <laughs> kind of made me think I haven't done shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll probably say individually, probably winning the sixth man of the year was pretty good. And then um, as a team, probably making it to the Europe Cup finals. That was a good experience. Just the whole, every game was like do or die in like crazy atmospheres, crazy crowds, like people throwing pennies, lighters at you, fireworks in the arena. So yeah, those two. And then uh, the opposite of that, the worst moment or toughest, uh, most difficult moment of your career so far? Uh, the most difficult, probably getting fired for my first two jobs of my life. But looking back, I kind of look at look back with a with a lot more appreciation to be in those situations, you know, and gratefulness that the opportunities that followed were so good. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then I can't really think of on the court too much. Probably a few mistakes here and there, like defensive mistakes that could have changed the game. But if you look back, the three mistakes you made in the first quarter was really what it cost you. You know, it wasn't the one at the end. So yeah, yeah. Uh, best best coach you've ever played for? Ooh, best coach professionally? Your entire career? Uh, I'll probably say Coach Fran McCaffrey. Uh, obviously, obviously in in college, it's not really too much. Well, compared to the pros, it's not really too much X and O's. I think on this team we have this year, we have a lot more players than I ever had in college. But just in terms of that daily development of really wanting to get to know you, setting you on a path for greatness, you know, that was probably the best experience. Toughest player you've ever had to play against? Man, that's tough. Uh, probably Paul Zingas in a... Eurobasket 2017. Didn't you drop like 23 on him on like 10 of 11 shooting or something ridiculous? I had a pretty good game, but like <laughs> I think to start the game, it was an alley-oop, tip dunk, shot a three. And I was like, shit, this is, this is ridiculous. But um, yeah, just um, I think he was one of the best ones. I played against, yeah, in that tournament, I played against like Mozgov, Alexei Shved. Chetty Osman, yeah, just the whole Eurobasket. Anyone we played in Eurobasket was really good, yeah. Uh, the best uh, British player that you've ever played against? Man, the best British. It's weird, I haven't really played directly one-on-one unless it was like a GB camp. You can but talk about GB camp, it doesn't have to necessarily be a game. Like It could be scrimmages, yeah. whatever, like kind of best player. You, then you have to be, in fact, actually, we can remove, you have to play against them. Like kind of like, you, you even that you've seen like in person, you've been there, seen them work out or whatever. I'll probably have to say Ryan Richards. He's tough. He's tough. Just being a footer, he can dribble past shoot, you know? Yeah. So yeah, he's probably the, he's probably the best British player I've seen. Favourite British teammate? Favorite British teammate. Ooh. I'll probably have to say Will Saunders, just because we have that connection from our old Forest Gate, East London days. Yeah. But a guy who I've been around constantly, probably. I'll probably say Luke Nelson, even though it pains me to say. I have to say Luke Nelson. Uh, and then, and then finally, uh, goals for the next. 
let's say three to five years in your career, kind of, you know, let's say five years time, uh, what do you want to have achieved uh, on the court, off the court, like in your basketball career? Um, hmm. I think just continuously, continually, continually, continually establish myself as one of the better bigs in whatever league I'm in and just make it back to the highest level in Europe. You know, I think um, a season or a season or two away from that, I think if I consistently keep doing what I'm doing right now, I'll get back to that level, which like I said, will be a great, a great story, you know, uh, being counted out and then making it back to the level that um, I think I should be at. And then just hopefully more success, you know, more playoff runs, more, more finals appearances, and just hopefully more success. Um, and with GB, hopefully a couple more tournaments, couple wins in those tournaments to try and like I'm not at the end of my international career but definitely just try and establish a a level of success for the next generation you know so it's not like a upward trajectory it's kind of just hitting our peak yeah perfect that's a perfect uh, place to leave it Gabe thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, being super insightful I uh, really appreciate it and wish you all the best for the season thanks I appreciate it Psst. hey podcast listener but you weren't expecting to hear from me again. Now that you've listened to the show, please take two seconds to take your podcast player out of your pocket and give us a rating and review on iTunes. It would be massively appreciated and goes a long way in helping us spread this content far and wide. Literally take your phone out of your pocket right now. Uh, open up your podcast player. Go to the Hoops Fix podcast. You'll see the option to leave a rating and review. Drop us a five star if you love it. And uh, if you could take two seconds just to write a review as well, it would be massively, massively appreciated. Thank you and speak to you next week. You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more.